G'day punters, want to win a day at the footy for you and 10 mates in the Tab corporate box? Well, make sure you're listening later in the podcast for this week's all-important code word. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. G'day punters and welcome to Inside 50. What a superstar this week. A man who played 270 games for the Bombers, won a premiership in 2000, a two-time best and fairest winner and took the three Brownlow votes in the line in the sand game. A warm welcome to Scotty Lucas. <laughs> Thanks, Quinny. Uh, interesting introduction. Line of the sand, I haven't heard that before. but How many did you kick in that game? Because he uh, kicked a lot of goals. Yeah, not Come a big bag. No, maybe three or four. Yeah, right. Yeah. Who yeah. were you playing on? Can you remember? Did you punch uh, on with them? No. See, it's funny. <laughs> Some will call it soft. I'll say smart. But when the main fight broke out, I'd taken a mark. So, as all forwards do, it's all about getting the shot at goal. So, I thought if I put the footy down and get involved, this free kick might get reversed. <laughs> so, in the end, I just hung on to the football. Man on the mark, I think, stayed there. Could have been Crody or and someone. Lordo would have been sniffing around too. Yeah, yeah of course you he was. Go up there, go and get involved. I think I actually got a 50 out of it. So... A shot from the goal square. Well, you and your teammate, Matty Lloyd, combined to kick 10 goals that day. And we thought, seeing we've got you both here, Croft was Hawthorne captain at the time. We'd play a little bit of audio now. That's all again. That's all And he will go for six to seven weeks without any doubt whatsoever. Oh, man. It's on again. Murphy's got all oh, Murphy's given Beaumont one in the mush. I think we've just cast the clock back 20 years. It was mayhem. I think Murphy and Beaumont were meant to go out for dinner that night. That's true. Because old yes. Carlton teammates. They were. And that, that was one of the – like, there's so many stories to it all, but – that's right. So, um, you know, Justin Murphy, Simon Beaumont played at Carlton, uh, teammates. That arranged for them and their partners and to head out that night after playing. Um, Simon, I remember seeing Simon after the game because I wasn't playing in the game, but I went in and I was in the change rooms and then he was in the showers and he was furious. I said, Cal- calm down, mate. And he goes, no. I said, what's the matter? And he said... You know, I went to Justin Murphy, I grabbed him, and we were just holding each other, virtually just trying to say, stay out of it. And I turned away, and then next thing, I caught one on my jaw. And he, he said, right, so then it was on. So then I jobbed him back, and I'm not going out to dinner with him. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's been spoken about a lot over the years, but it's such a famous footy game. You were the Hawthorne skipper at the time. You were out injured. What was it like in the lead-up, and what influence did Dermot Brereton have in fueling that fire? Well... <laughs> It was it was a hard watch because you know I knew it was going to be a, a bit of a struggle for our team that day. So uh, we were battling away, we were trying, but um, Essendon were way too good. And then just before uh, half time, um, I think it might have been Mark Johnson got big Robbie Campbell, young Robbie Campbell, our big ruckman, and he, and he tackled him pretty hard into the ground. That's what Mark Johnson does. Um, he always plays on the edge, and that's why he was such a, a great player. Um, would have been a great teammate to have, but. Um, I remember everyone coming in at, at half time and we're trying to get everyone up and about and say, come on, keep going and so forth. And then Dermot was in the rooms having a chat to a few players 
which is what Dermot used to do. He used to come in and just try and encourage or say how your leading patterns go, mainly with the forwards. But then um, I remember Peter Swab at the time um, in the meeting at halftime because everyone says, oh, Dermot was the one that went in and said, don't cop this, don't take this, stand up for yourself. I, I don't remember Dermot saying that. It was more Dermot was from a teaching point of view. It was Peter Swab who said, boys – if they're going to give it to you, you've got to stand up for yourself. Don't don't cop that stuff. You've got to stand up for yourself. So I think the majority of the boys took it as a green light to, oh, did he just tell us to punch on if we get challenged? So And it, that wasn't the exact message. It wasn't go and punch on. Um, it, and that, But that's how it was perceived. So then obviously after half time, uh, it went berserk. Richie Vandenberg, uh, you know, played on the edge, uh, virtually, you know, having a green light to, to go for it. There was punches, there was knees, uh, you know, and as a captain sitting on the sidelines and watching, I was in two you know, frames of mind because you think, oh, I'd like to be out there, you know, trying to stand up and not that I'd help, but uh, I'd just get myself in trouble and probably get reported, which is – but the other side was – thank goodness I'm not out there because I know I'd get myself in trouble because that's what happens. And when you have fights like that, Scotty, um, after it, it's how you respond. Okay, we've had a bit of a a fracas and we've punched on and whatever. What happens next? Do you put your head over the footy, go hard? Do you get hit the scoreboard? No, we got wiped. Essendon hit the scoreboard straight away. They dominated and away they went. So did you get involved there at all? I think there were some little spot fires, but the main one on the wing, I remembered having possession of the ball. But from our point of view, which probably worked in our favour, is we had no idea what was coming or that there'd been even an incident with Jono, who, as you said, played on the edge. So in a sense, it was just a good hard tackle from our perspective. So we were always just about playing the football. Um, Certainly, you have to stand up for yourself and match Hawthorne's aggression. But you're right, Crawford. It looked like Hawthorne were coming out with a focus on the aggression rather than football, whereas for us, it was still the football. We'll respond to Hawthorne and then get on with it. And I think it was fair to say that was um, a pretty tough year overall for the Hawks. I think we made the final, so we were probably at different levels on the ladder as well, which made it that bit easier for us to get on with it. What yeah. was their post-game in the Bombers change room? Um, <laughs> not, a, not a lot, really, other than, gee, that changed pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just got on with it. I do yeah. uh, remember having a chat to your captain, not so long ago, James Heard, the great James Heard, and I said, <laughs> when the line in the sand game was on, wh- where were you? And he, he says he was in the goal square uh, with Joel Smith. And he said he, he looked at Joel Smith and said, what do you want to do? Should we just stay here? And he said, yeah, let's just stay here. He <laughs> said, so they, he said he had the best view. He was just watching everything go on and he said he just yeah. didn't want to go and get involved. I said, but you're the captain. You've got to get in there and, and lead the way and, and show that yeah. you're prepared to stand up for your teammates. Yeah, there, there is a bit of that. But then also, how often have we seen, and we'd have a laugh with our teammates, um, you'd go in and you'd help out and then you'd walk away on a Monday with a 3K fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was one stage at Malay's, you know, you could roll out 30, 40, 50K from a, a fracas. So at the 
back of your mind, it's always, this could be very expensive if I can't make a meaningful contribution. And, and wrestling, <laughs> those fines at the yeah. time, they were rolling fines. Yeah. So you go from 1500 to 3000 then yeah. 3000 to 6000 yeah. from 6000 you know, all the way up to 12000 I remember I got to 6000 and I couldn't run away quick enough. And even if the opposition players are trying to wrestle me, I'm like, please stop, don't. I'm not doing I put my hands in the air. I'm like, nah, I'm not copping another massive fine. I reckon the big one out of it was Campbell Gra- Brown clipped Winderlick coming off the ground. Yeah, so he was yeah. in the hands of the trainers. Yeah. And and Campbell, obviously, um, we love him because he plays on the edge and he's, he's, he's hard of the footy and um, normally just attacks the footy. But... Um, I don't know what happened that day, but he, he lost his way as well. So when you walk over to a, a, an opposition player who's been carried off, um, you know, a trainer either side, and then you, you give him one on the jaw, that's when you know you're seeing red. Yeah, so, so that was the element, like, post-game that disappointed us in that sense. Yeah. It was crazy. Footy. Is it one of the games you get asked about a lot more than others? I mean, you played in so many famous games. We'll talk about a few in the next hour or so, but that one would be on the podium, I dare say, if people coming in and having to chat to you about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, big followings and a rivalry that really, for me, uh, as a kid growing up, a Geelong supporter. So in 84, 85, um, I'm barracking for Geelong, but watching really a start of a rivalry as far as I could see. And, and Sheed's been coached then and through my career. It just sort of continued on in that sense. And it, and now today, you don't see that, unfortunate that rivalry, even though we love it. We lo- love it when there's a bit of spite and you, you, a bit of passion. But after games, it's more hugging and having a chat, yeah. quick catch up, you know, and, and smiling at the opposition well, player rather than, yeah. I'm going to knock your head off. Well, the reality is a lot of the rivalries uh, are born out of blues, aren't they? Yeah. And we see a lot less of that, which is a good thing. Hence, that rivalry is perhaps not quite as intense as it once was. Yeah, I think a bit of rivalry is good. And it's still very special when Hawthorne come up against Essendon, irrespective of where they are on the ladder. It means so much to both supporters. We're going to take a look at your footy career. Tell us about your early days. Were you always very keen on the footy, always a very good footballer from an early age? Uh, certainly always loved it, yeah. So grew up in, in the country, uh, in Camperdown in southwest Victoria. So from that perspective, really, it was footy in winter, cricket in summer. So that was me, quintessential, really, country upbringing in that sense. Always loved it. Was always fairly tall for my age, which which helped. And um, Always a forward? Yeah, always a forward, yeah. Um, usually... I don't know, you sort of a forward or a ruck almost and you cobble, did you find in junior footy, sort of need someone that's tall to take a mark and kick a goal, someone tall in the ruck. And well, then, that wasn't me. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then everything sort of pieces around that, doesn't it? Yep. And you almost take the view that we hope we win more than we lose. So if, we, if we're a little exposed in our back line, we'll live with it. We'll try and kick more than the opposition. Perhaps the old Malcolm Blight theory so played a fair bit up forward and a little bit through the ruck and it's safe to say the first probably 10 years of your footy from a late teenager to your early days at the Bombers you didn't lose a lot it sounds like your Camperdown team was pretty dominant at junior level and then you went to the Geelong Falcons and had terrific success as well albeit not quite a premiership yeah so Camperdown under 16s we didn't lose a game in the two years so we were premiers and champions so then the Camperdown what uh Magpies oh the Magpies yeah, okay. we're the Magpies so do you play like Coleraine and those We areas? play in – so we were in the Hampton League, yep. which went as far from Colac all the way through to Port Ferry. However, the Junior League 
that I was in in the under 16s was more uh, a smaller element of that, which was Cobden, Terang, Mortlake, Colac, and us. So that might be five or six teams. So it was a pretty small, I think it was a 12 or 15 week season where you played each team three times, then the finals there. And then the Warnable Junior group would play their own junior league because the Hampden League teams from Warnable uh, back then were South Warnable, Jonathan Brown, and then the Warnable Footy Club. Uh, and then since I think North Warnable have, have come into it. And I mean, over the years we've seen with a lot of country leagues, clubs uh, fold and then leagues merge and that. So there's been a, a few hybrid versions now of teams, but we were a, a strong junior league uh, in that regard. And then after that, you go on to the Camperdown under-18s reserve seniors. And you went to the Geelong Falcons. Tell us about your time at the Falcons. Yeah, so um, some of my f- favourite footy memories. I mean, yesterday I went to watch a school game and one of my uh, Geelong Falcons teammate is uh, one of the line coaches at Geelong College. <laughs> so, And I was unaware of that till a couple of years ago to go along to a game, Jeremy Dyer, and he was drafted by the Eagles, grew up in Warrnambool. Um you know, some of my Falcons teammates have now got sons running around in the NAB League that are a real chance to be drafted. So it's the great thing about football. Uh, the Falcons year, we were a, a strong team. We had a successful year, lost to the Northern Knights in the grand final. And if you look at that team, there was uh, half, I think, was injured. But Daniel Harford was, had played most of that year, broke his leg. Anthony Rocker. Shannon uh, Grant, was he around then? No. Shannon Grant was a Western Jet that year with Lloydie. So they were two of the, the main guys at the Western Jets. Um, yeah, so a really strong team. Like Carousel too? Yeah, Carousel played in that team. I think Lance Whitnell was a under-16 player then. So, yeah, they were a strong group, the Northern Knights, and they, they won that day. Now, it was a little bit different getting drafted back then because it wasn't like it is now where clubs can't interact with a player or whatnot. Were there any interactions with the Bombers in the time leading up to them taking you in the draft? Yeah, so now involved in sports management, there's all freeze-out periods when clubs can't chat to players and so forth. It's very structured. But back then, uh, a little bit different. Um, I'd spoke to several clubs, maybe five or six had travelled up to Camperdown to meet with my family and have a chat, but certainly the level of detail now, I mean, there was no psych profiling, etc. It was a bit of a get-to-know and meet and greet. And actually the day before the draft, Noel Judkins and David Whedon came up. So Juddo was the head recruiting manager. When I say head recruiting manager, probably the only recruiter at a club back then. Now there's staffs of um, anywhere between six and 10 or 12. Dave Whedon was a development coach so they came up they picked me up from school they went home we had a bit of lunch with mum and dad uh, they just basically spoke about football and didn't really give any commitment into where I sat I had no idea I thought I would get drafted but had no idea where whether it was 20s 30s 40s and back then was perhaps the first year or two where they'd invited guys along and I wasn't invited to the draft, perhaps 20 guys were. So if you go on as an indication, I thought, well, perhaps it might be 20s, 30s, 40s, who knows. Uh, and then Essendon uh, gave a call either the night before or the morning of, I think it was the night before that same day, and just said, oh, have Sydney called you? Uh do you know what they're doing? Because they had picks two and three in the draft. Essendon had four, uh, and they were keen to see what Sydney were going to do. As it turns out, I think, 
Essendon would have liked Anthony Rocker to get through to pick four, but Sydney took Rocker and Shannon Grant with picks two and three, so I felt Essendon at four. Listen to this top four, Croft, if you don't mind. Now, this is the 1994 National Draft. The Bombers won the 93 flag, the cheeky buggers, and they somehow got pick four. But the top four that year... How did they do that? Well, that's not a bad story. (laughs) Um, If you look at it, they... Essendon lost three players to Frio. I yes. Think yep. Todd Ridley. Delaney. Delaney. Russell Wilson. Maybe Dale Kickett. And for that, they got fourth pick in the national draft and the first pick in the 16-year-old draft. <laughs> they weren't and they you know weren't who the first, team, weren't you know they? They weren't in the no, team the year before. No. So you know who the first pick in the 16-year-old draft was? Who, who was that? Lloydy. Oh, of course. It's safe Lotto. to say that she pillaged <laughs> the new Fremantle Football Club. Well, they also gave up someone, Frio. They relinquished their rights to Andrew McLeod yeah. for someone, and I'm trying to be as respectful as possible, that didn't quite have the career Andrew <laughs> McLeod had. <laughs> and Peter Bell. They yeah, they did. Up on yeah, Bell they and did. spent a fortune to get, get him, him back. back. Yeah. And yeah. now he's he's running the show. Yeah. Still paying him a fortune. But you know why they didn't like McLeod? <laughs> I, well, I couldn't run or something. I don't know. Couldn't kick. What? His skills weren't up to scratch. <laughs> he had an earring. <laughs> no. Didn't like the earring. That's yeah, unbelievable. Okay. Um, you just, oh, gee, yeah. you must kick yourself when you look <laughs> yeah. back at some of that stuff. But for Essendon to get pick four, that's quite incredible. You've got players who aren't consistent in the, your 18 or consistently in the 18. And yet, yep, you can have yeah. our players. They'll be good players for you. So I think Frio clearly were after some homegrown guys, so they had a lot of Western Australians on their list, and guys that could actually, well, had mature bodies and compete really quickly. So they also had Jeff White, and they got some early draft picks as well. But, yeah, they they took some mature age types. Well, the 94 National Draft, what about this for a top four? Number one, Jeff White to Fremantle. Number two, Anthony Rocker to Sydney. Number three, Shannon Grant to Sydney. And number four, Scott Lucas to Essendon. That is as good a top four in a draft as we'll see, Croft. Yeah, and you, you see Fremantle gets Jeff White, but then he ends up back at Melbourne anyway, and, and he was such a such a good player at his very best. Uh, he was right up there. Anthony Rocker obviously comes back to Collingwood. It's it's a hard one. You go to the, the Sydney Swans, and you don't want these young guys to go home. No. They play the homesick you know, thing. Yeah. I wonder if they can get away with that these days, you know, whereas, you know, we always felt that Rocker was going to come yeah, back after I a year or two. I think they had his – I think – Anthony Rocker's mum lived up there for a year. Yes, yeah, because I think they she were did. concerned that he would come back. Uh, Jeff White, maybe three years at Freo, and then he became leading ruckman, obviously for Melbourne. And Shannon Grant was four or five years, and yep. basically and swapped for Swatter, wasn't he? Yep. Wayne Schwartz went up Premiership there. Premiership player came yeah. back and had a wonderful career. Always was a, a really good player, but mm. um, yeah, it's it's funny they've all flipped around, and you stayed loyal yeah. to the Mighty Bombers. Mm. So what would have happened if Sydney took you? Would you have played your career at the Sydney Swans or would you have thought at the time, okay, I'll go do the apprenticeship and then look to come back to Melbourne? Um, Really hard to know in hindsight, but, and it's still the case now, I think I would have, I think there was a much higher chance that I would have stayed there. And why I say that, and it's the same today, Quinny, is country and all the teams now look at that interstate. So if you're a country Victorian, whether you relocate to Melbourne or interstate, you're relocating. So I think that means that as a country kid, I was moving, so what's the difference? And I didn't have close ties with Melbourne anyway. So Sydney, Melbourne, what's the difference? Um, Notwithstanding, you're never sure how your career unfolds, but 
Yeah, in that regard. But the other boys were all Melbourne boys with strong connections. Hence, at some stage, they were keen to come. You would have been running around with uh, Player Lockett. You know, yeah. kicking a few goals. Trying to stay out of his way. <laughs> well, at least you know yeah. that he'd, he'd make a bit of space yeah. for you at times. So Absolutely. But I mean, and the the challenge for the Swans in that regard is they were just on the verge of success. So 96, a matter of a couple of years later, they played off. Well, they beat us in yeah. the prelim final, made a grand final. So often success does keep a playing squad together, but still those guys decided to leave. And did you experience that because you were a youngster that travelled a little bit? Would you have been more inclined to go to the Sydney Swans, which you nearly did, or Port Adelaide, which you nearly did, because you were quite used to travelling, as Scotty said? I, I, I think once you go to a football club and you, you know no other way, you, you you fall in love with your mates and, you know, you're like, okay, no, this is my club. Whereas, um, obviously, having that connection interstate and, you know, that that sort of um, that little hook to, to drag you back, you know, obviously they know what life is like, you know, um, away from it all. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. And, and Scotty knows this area so well because we, we'll obviously speak about what you do right now um, a little bit later on, which is he manages up to 60 players, AFL players. So, you know, those discussions you must have with all those players about moving into state, how to, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of homesick, um, players, I'm sure you. The thing is, not only looking after sixty players, you look after their parents as well. So there's there's a whole you know. So if anyone knows about relocating, putting your head in that right space and trying to get on with things, um, we've pretty much got an expert right there. So it'll be good to pick your brain uh, a little bit later. But at the moment, we're just focusing on your footy career. Now let's talk about your. Um, you know, whenever you used to get the footy. 50, 60 out, you wheel around, you go for it. Give off a handball, Croft? There's There's someone in a better position. If you think you can kick the bloody goal, (laughs) you go for it, don't you? Well, that was my theory, Croft. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Play the odds. I was in a good position. I could make the distance. And Matty Lloyd won't be passing it to you. Let's be honest. Matty Lloyd was one of the most selfish forwards going around, although uh, one of the the very finest, of course. But he he just believed in himself. He'd take it, no, I can kick this. I'll go back and I'll have a shot. So, um, but... You play Scotty Lucas, he's going to get it. You know he's going to wheel around. You know he's a big, long kick, and he can kick a lot of goals. Yeah, that was the plan. And I think <laughs> all forwards, part of it, and there's a bit of ego and self-belief that comes with it, that you think, well, anywhere inside 50, perhaps slightly beyond, um, I'm more within range and a better-than-average chance of kicking it. Well, you just said selfish. I'd say unselfish. I'd say they're taking well, it upon themselves I'll... to have a kick because too many times now I see That's... a player get the mark and kick it to someone who's in a no better position than them. Nick, you're speaking my kind of language. And then they kick it around you the corner. The Can you believe that? Yeah, I can't. Hey. Um, <laughs> I'll sound like a dinosaur when I talk about no, it. No, but, but I... I'm with you with I, a lot of it. Not all of it, no, but with a lot of it. I know they angles. practice it a lot, but I look at it purely from a mechanical point of view. There is far more that can go wrong in ball drop, hitting the right spot of the ball on a snap than it is with a, a straight drop pump. So I find it goes against the grain to think that you're a higher percentage chance of kicking the goal. Um, I know they practice it a lot, but I imagine if you practiced a straight drop punt as much as you do a snap, that you will get a better outcome from a drop punt. I'm sure they've got a lot of data on it that says otherwise, but just from what I've watched and experienced over the years, it's almost like, and I don't know this to be true, but when they go into that kick across the body position, that it it relieves some of the pressure off them, that they don't feel that there's as great a challenge to kick the goal. 
However, that's not the issue. The issue is at what percentage do you actually convert? So if there is more pressure from a straight drop punt because the expectation is you'll kick it, well, you've just got to wear that and work through it rather than take that kick around the corner and almost think that it's a free hit. And I know they don't think like that, but I find it really difficult, as I've said, to get around the fact that you could kick at a higher percentage with those kicks because there is so much margin fairer. And um, I mean, one of the great reasons why Lloydie was such a good player is he spent hours endlessly working on his goal kick and also kicks around the corner. And watching and working with him a lot as we do it together, I just can't see that you're more accurate kicking around your body and I did kick goals around my body but that's more to do with the position on the ground that I was that required that Mm. Uh, and when you were playing in Essendon um, you had great chemistry with with uh, Lordy or Lordo when he was down there obviously uh, James Hurd as well He'd always seemed to have space, so you had great connection and obviously your half-forwards would push up and Mercury would push up near the wing and he was a superstar as well. But you obviously were a good runner. Is that right? Did you have a running background? Because no, you, you didn't. No, I don't So how have, did you I don't have a huge, get into all that yeah, space? I don't have a huge tank like relative, you know, 3K time trial beep test, Croft. Uh, I feel that um, repeat efforts were okay and I felt like I read the game okay, which helped. Yeah, and which is critically important. A little bit more space to play now than back then. Like a real challenge for forwards now to kick goals and get space is because players are so collectively they're fitter than ever so they can fold back into your space a lot better. And really, I think Clarko was the start of that. Like your team around 07 started to fold back into our space. Well, it actually started... (laughs) <laughs> when it's the first year he took over 2005 yeah. and the reason we all flooded back is because we were going to get wiped, wiped. like yeah. 100 yeah. so if we can fall back mm. maybe 60 yeah. 70 yeah that's right but then then yeah then he added a, another layer, layer with it like a, a rolling zone and and then he wouldn't allow the midfielders to run into the forward line so which is smart which is smart i mean you well, go it's not good as a midfielder no. because hang on and and now you'll see it's gone that next yeah. level because the midfielders need to kick goals. You've got to have – if you're going to be a good team, you've got to have your midfielders kicking goals, whereas for a stage there, even though we were winning, we, yeah, we but, were totally but rough. Yeah. get out of there. Mm. So um, that's obviously you – know, Well, then other teams started to do it and fall back into their space, so it was harder for Bud to kick 100. So then you look for other avenues, isn't it, yeah, and yeah, balancing yeah, it absolutely. up. Yeah, but um, no, look, we did have a good – chemistry working together yeah and that's just through feel and understanding how one another plays so yeah. so leading to someone like a Mark McCurry because I always thought he yeah. was, he was yeah, one he's, of the great players um, you're spot on Croft and he, he would lead up you knew he was going to lead up get it and he was just going to do it whether it be a 30 40 yeah. metre kick and there's you leading towards the, the footy there's Matty Lloyd leading towards the footy James so you just knew and we know they're going to do this, yep. but somehow you just kept doing it Time. and doing it. We yeah. couldn't stop it. Yeah. A matter of knowing where the player likes to kick it and knowing where the space is and just protecting that space to come off your man and protect that drop zone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, Merck's uh, Longy was another one that kicked the ball so well that just would drop it into space all the time, just weight the footy brilliantly. And you're right. Merck's was really an underestimate. Uh, underappreciated more broadly how good a player he was. Certainly not within uh, the four walls yeah. of Essendon. I mean, he really is respected as one of the truly great players of our club's history. G'day, punters, for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the Tab Superbox. The magic code word this week is MARK. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. 
There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. Tell us about Kevin Sheedy and your first meeting with him. Nutcase. There's <laughs> yeah, a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but it's what makes him great. Yeah. I mean, he just saw the game so differently than everyone else does. Yeah, yep. Um, certainly, I when I got drafted with a lot of the other guys, the draft was a year younger then. So you're drafted at 17. So we were still really young going to school. So he, he takes on that fatherly figure type role. Um, football departments aren't near as big back in the mid-90s. So there's less people. So really coach, recruiter, the three assistants played a huge role um, and very supportive. I mean, Sheeds really was all about when's the next premiership team coming so he would give you an opportunity early as a young player so I'm forever thankful that he threw us in my first game was Anzac Day so he had no concern to throw players and I think each of my first or the first three or four years at the club he would debut guys on Anzac Day and I'm sure that what, was his intention what an introduction yeah, yeah. yep and go and just stand up see, yeah, see what, what you're you going to do because yep. and Sheeds' belief was was we're here to play in finals. Uh, I want to find out as soon as I can whether you'll let me down or you'll stand up for us because that's the expectation at Essendon. Unfortunately, the club lost on that occasion, your first performance, which was on Anzac Day. But what was it like as an experience running out in front of 90,000 people? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, Just getting a sense, having played a year and a bit in the twos where you can hear one another talking and calling for the ball and some of the banter that goes on between the players to really not hearing on anyone else's voice other than sort of that inner ring of the contest was just really different. So you did rely on the cues and, and getting to the right spots because the crowd is just so deafening. And I'm sure I got caught, caught up in a sense of just taking it all in. But I do say that to all players when they're about to play their first game you only play your first game once so really take it in and enjoy it because I find that players as your career evolves uh, and I don't think without knowing but Croft no one put more pressure on themselves and Croft to be great each week that no matter how great you are the heat's on every game isn't it yeah absolutely like if, if an early career player just wants to get a game that's their pressure then the next guy wants to establish himself as a regular player then for the great players, it's all about, well, I need to for my team to win this week to be in the best two or three on the ground. So the pressure never goes away. So mm. and, um, Anzac Day, like it's uh, – as a footballer at a different club, you get jealous. You're like, how good is that? You know, you want to play an AFL grand final, you want to win, and you want to play on Anzac Day and you want to win. So Collingwood, um, Collingwood and Essendon, uh, unbelievable rivalry, but – what an occasion every year, you know, to get out. And I know um, Kevin Sheedy was big on, you know, respecting what the Anzacs did. He'd always bring in, you know, people who um, went and fought for our country. So it really is a special occasion. And even to this day, even though you're not playing anymore, I'd imagine you definitely tune in and it's something probably that puts a spring in your step because it was wonderful to be a part of. Yeah, it does. Um Certainly, and Sheeds was big on it, you're right, we would have a guest speaker each year, someone that had generally served or was close to someone uh, that could serve and could relay some of their um, 
stories or, or what they went through and keeping in the context that it was a game of football. But we certainly did feel that we had a role to play. And I think in many ways, Anzac Day has had a really, the, the football game itself has had a really positive role on acknowledging the day and what it's about. It's almost been a vehicle to educate a lot of our younger people because as we get further and further away from that date, there's less those that went that are still alive yep. to, to retell that. So we're using the game of football to retell it, I think, which has been fantastic. Um, and the build-up is just so intense. Uh, so you did, in a, in one sense, you loved the day, but you didn't fully immerse yourself or or enjoy it as such because the pressure to perform. The first year I finished, I went along uh, to watch and was perhaps in a strange way my most enjoyable one because there was no pressure on it. I just absorbed it all because in a sense that first half an hour or the half an hour before the first bounce, we're down in the rooms, first contest, what do we got to do? Who's your opponent? What's going on? Whereas to be out in, in the crowd, with all that goes on and the parade and the acknowledgement of those that served was just a fantastic experience to go along and just watch it and absorb it. Yeah, it was great. What was the biggest crowd you would have played in before that grand final? Uh, not massive, not, 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 not huge, you know, we, uh, maybe a 60, 60 odd, um, Maybe a 70 with Australia playing Ireland in the Gaelic yeah. footy over at Croke <laughs> yeah. Park, all the Irish. But, yeah, nothing like that. And, I, and I'd, I'd never obviously been to an Anzac Day match until a few years ago. And I'm like, oh, wow. This is, if you want to experience AFL footy, you got to get yourself to a ticket to, to one of these matches because this is – this is special in every direction. Yeah, you've got your amazing footy going on and great rivalry. But as you said, half an hour before the game – the build-up, um, you know, just, just it's just a special day, and it's it's something that Essendon and Collingwood have done better than anyone. It's it's almost like our state of origin match, yeah, really, when you think about it. And unlike the finals, where there's an element, particularly the grand final, where there's a corporate feel, it doesn't quite have the parochial nature of a fifty-fifty or sixty-forty split of fans, which Anzac Day does. That you just get the most electric atmosphere because of the passion of the fans that are there. Everyone has a vested interest and has a team that they want to win. And the first couple of years at the Bombers, things are trending nicely and then basically explode in 1999. The team finishes on top of the ladder, something you do three straight years. Tell us about that 99 season where the team really did take a big step up, but unfortunately ended in heartbreak. Yeah, so look, it was start of our run and that's the, the disappointing thing in, it, in a sense, Quinn, is you know we finished on top three years in a row and we've got one flag to, to show for it. Better which, than none. Yeah, that's right. I know. <laughs> but, but you get greedy, don't you? Well, you, well I don't. Oh, because, because you got it in the last. Eventually. But yeah. yes, I, I totally yeah, agree with it. Because if, you, if you get there, you want to win. Yeah, you do. You, you and like, we look full of admiration for Brisbane, who won three, never finished on top. And you yeah. could make a case that you were clearly the best team in all three years. So to I, have one premiership, yeah. does it leave you feeling a little bit deflated in oh, the sense that you probably didn't capitalise on those opportunities? Yeah, no doubt. But then Croft gives great context. There's plenty of, yes, plenty without any. And they're so hard to win. And uh, even harder now when, you know, it's drafting and equalisation and so forth. But, yeah, I feel – I mean, it's what you play for. You play to play in a premiership. Uh, so to achieve that was, you know, m- the most satisfying moment of my career. Uh, yeah, 99, um, it was really interesting. Neil Danaher took over Melbourne at the start of 98, 
And, you know, there's an element in footy, Croft, as you know. You follow the leader. <laughs> so Melbourne finish on the bottom in 97. Neil Danaher takes over as coach. He, they do, I think, three weeks full-time in January. So they did a full-time sort of football program, which is funny now because that's all players do <laughs> and have done for a long time. But back then, a lot of us still did some work or part-time study, etc. cetera. Uh, so Melbourne do that in 97, go from bottom to the prelim final. So what do we do? Must work. So in 98, I think we played, made the finals, lost to North Melbourne. So we did a similar thing early uh, January 99. And um, having a joke in a sense to follow the leader, but it did really work. We honed in on our game plan. Uh, we were able to really develop some younger guys through that 24-7 or, or a lot more craft training as well. Better down our game plan and away we went and had such a strong year. And then um, unfortunately, you know, close to unbackable in the prelim against Carlton and they were t- too good for us. The positive was how you reacted in the year 2000, but in the moment, that 99 prelim, what was it like after the game? Because I've had Essendon players tell me they felt like they'd just lost a war. Hmm. Yeah, look... Um, Which is what you want. Yeah, that's you, right. You, you want to hurt. Yeah, you, you want to hurt. Um, I didn't play in that game, so I'd, I'd broken my leg earlier in the year and was still coming back. So um, to see them, and you still watch it, and you could see it was almost... Uh, happening in front of us during the game where we, they had, the boys had so much play but weren't able to convert and the door was just slightly open for Carlton and then Kudafidis had just an amazing last quarter uh, for Carlton and got him over the line. So I think out of that though, no question that that drove us for 2000. It, it really, I think it showed that no matter how well prepared you are and you know, how good you think you are can still go wrong on the day. You know, if you play Carlton 10 times, you might win nine or eight, but there is the one or two games out of 10 that a team will get you no matter how much better you think you are. Um, so in that case, you know, 2000 was all about, you know, razor sharp focus, um, not leaving anything to chance. And then, yeah, coming away with the flag, which was great. Is that what you said during the year? You said, I wasn't there last year. I'm back, boys. I'm the difference. <laughs> no, that's what Hurdy did because he was also out. Oh, well, there yeah. You go. So that's no. a pretty big yeah. couple of inclusions. Yeah. Really. And, J- and Jason Johnson, another one who was just you know had a super two thousand blue collar worker. in. Yeah. Yep. So good fella. All teams have injuries, as we know, but yeah, we we weren't there in '99, so we were keen to come in and add in 2000. And mm. in the year 2000, the Bombers literally steamrolled through the competition in the home and away season, losing just the one game to the Western Bulldogs. It was just the juggernaut that would get bigger and better every week. Yeah, it was. I mean, quite simply, um, we had a lot of good players. Makes it a fair bit easier if you want to boil it down. Yeah. And then... you still got to play as a team. That's right. Then on top of that, we had incredible self-belief, played a lot of footy together, and were really on a mission to achieve something. So all of those elements came together, which meant that, you know, we believed we were going to win every game. And, um, and one thing with Essendon back then that really stood out for me was, and they talk about it these days, is understand your role, know your role. Yeah. You know, when I finished, it was all about, what's your role? What, what are you doing for this team? But it seemed like Essendon was ahead of the curve with all of that because you could really identify, okay, you knew exactly what everyone's role was clearly defined, which players you want to try and get the ball through. And it was like, you know, it it was like a modern day version today. Whereas I don't know if you actually, it was discussed a great deal or it was just that connection you had. 
working it out as you go? I think a lot of it was connection. Um, And, you know, it wasn't as footy certainly back then wasn't as structured as it became in the, the next four or five years. But so back then it was a lot of talent v talent the most talented team wins. Um, But I think clearly our advantage was in that was also understanding your role and what we wanted each player to do within that. So, and that was, I think, a mixture of experience, uh, good coaching, and also players taking that on board. Yeah. Now, 12 months later, Carlton supporters are licking their lips because it's another prelim against the Bombers and they're equally as excited to cause the other upset. Fortunately for you, it turned out perfectly, though, on that occasion. A 45-point victory that was never really in doubt. No, look, in fairness to Carlton, so 2000, we lost the one game. I think we played them in about round 20, and I think they'd won 9 or 10 or 11 in a row. And I think going, you know, close, every bit as good as us, Cuda having a real a year, you know, if you look at his numbers, perhaps the best 10 or 12 weeks, arguably, that any player, like he was averaging 30 a game when, you know, 30's the new 45 50. or 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah 50. you're quite right. Like Who he knows? was just so dominant. <laughs> Early in that game, big game Friday night, he goes up for a mark. Jason Johnson, you know, goes up for a mark as well. Knee clash, Cooter, I think a PCL. So Cooter's out for the rest of the year. And to be fair to Carlton, well, he was such a huge part of that. So we won that game, came in preliminary final. We felt that without Cooter, we had a really good chance. And yeah, huge loss to them. The fact that you did lose that prelim, I know you weren't personally out there Mm. 12 months earlier though. Was there any extra focus? Did you feel the players were not going to let it slip and there was going to be no complacency? So the year before uh, in 99, we got the week off, had a really easy week before the prelim, um, before that weekend we didn't play and then built up with a normal week. Um, For whatever reason, whether that was right or wrong or coincidence, um, we changed that completely. And then in 2000, 2001, we had a really hard week in the lead up to the weekend off so that, you know, to almost replicate the game and the volume, etc. So we did a few things differently. So not only physically we thought we were in a better place, but also by tweaking a few things, we thought, well, that was last year we did it this way. We're doing it different, so we expect a different outcome. So that mindset was an important part of it as well. And you're up against the team that was not dissimilar to the 93 Baby Bombers, a Melbourne team that had a lot of young players coming through and a lot of upside. But listen to this. Could you imagine being in the Essendon change rooms on the Thursday night and Coach Kevin Sheedy gets up and reads out the grand final team and this is the team, Shane Crawford. Mark Johnson, Dustin Fletcher, Sean Wellman, Damian Hardwick, Dean Wallace, Dean Solomon. Tough. Chris Heffernan, Joe Mercedi, Blake Carousella. Mark McCurry, Scott Lucas, James Hurd. What a half-forward line. Then Adam Ramanaskis, Matthew Lloyd, Michael Long. The Rucks, John Barnes, Justin Blumfield, Jason Johnson. And then the interchange, Darren Buick, Paul Barnard, Stephen Alessio and Gary Moorcroft. That's almost an all-star stateside, Croft. Oh, that is that is hard to beat, isn't it? And even you look at the interchange, there's so much flexibility there, you know, different roles that they can play. So... Wait, what about that half-forward line, hey? <laughs> Mercury. Well, sometimes you had to compete with Lucas one another to get a kick. Heard like, seriously, when you look around and you go, yeah, I've got a couple of good teammates around me, this is good. You just know things are going to happen. But, you know, you, you talk about the half-back line. Wallace, Hardwick, yeah. and Solomon. Solomon. How tough is that half-back line? You know, it wouldn't happen these days because they want all running types. 
But that is just the way footy used to be played. Yeah. Tough. Come off the line, try and line a few up, take a few out. You know, Hardwick used to, you know, he wasn't great at running, so he used to yeah. try and punch blokes all the time. <laughs> like, you know, in the right way. Yeah, Push yeah. Shove, but, yeah, antagonise. But you respected that because, you know what? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, um, Nah, what a team. What a team. So you went into the game as a firm favourite. I think Melbourne held their own early. They probably missed a few opportunities up forward, but after quarter time, the game was yours for the keeping. What can you remember about 2000 grand final day? Uh, yeah, certainly the the overwhelming memories. Yeah, taking, once we got on top, that last quarter was all about, you know, we're on top and we're going to win. So that was such an enjoyable quarter to be playing. Yeah. And, you know, you look back and you go, well, you know, in that moment, you're talking about, well, this is why I play football. Um, and, and I've not achieved to, what I wanted to achieve. And not, not being arrogant about it, but you, you knew you were home and host. Yes, yeah. Uh, coming out of three-quarter break. So yeah. that that mindset must be pretty special, just going, how good is this? Yeah. Got to take it. That's when you do take it all in. You, yeah, you, you do. You sit yeah, back you, and like, yep. this is good, you know, and yeah. I can relieve the handbrake a little and, and maybe run ahead of the play or, or do yeah, things a yeah, touch differently. That's but right. um, what, a, what a special quarter of football that is. Yeah, absolutely. And you compare it to the tension of other grand finals where a player hasn't, until the final siren goes, his game on entirely focused, doesn't have that opportunity to enjoy, gets the result in the ends and, and celebrates. So, yeah, to be able to be well in control during the last quarter was great. Relief or excitement? Both. Both. Certainly a decent level of relief because of 99. Yeah. yeah. And the no fact doubt. that all the pressure was on you and you went there, anything other than a victory for you guys in the grand final that year would have been a failure. Absolutely. I think, though, more nerves going into the prelim. Yep. Because, you know, Carlton the year before, is history going to repeat? So once we got over that hurdle, I think we felt reasonably confident all week going into the grand final. Now, 2001, there's certainly no letdown, as we've alluded to previously. You finished the home and away season once again on top of the ladder, and you went into the grand final in great form up against the Brisbane side that, in hindsight, we probably appreciate more than we did at the time. Yeah, um, we probably had good form, although Hawthorne... Really, mm. we just oh in the prelim uh, just got over the line. So we had a bit of work to do. Look, um, no excuse, but a couple of players took in that you wouldn't change it, uh, but, you know, carried some injuries into O one. one Brisbane were flying then. Um, I think the difference with that was that we felt we needed going in, uh, that we needed everything go, to go right. To win that. Now, I'm not sure what the betting said. Perhaps we were favourites, but the reality was, I think, and remember watching them play play the preliminary after we did that, gee, we'll need to be at our very best and have a little bit go our way because, you know, and you're right, with that, look, you look at the midfield, there's three Brownlow medalists through the midfield and Nigel Lappin that is every bit as good as as those. Um, And they were, I guess, crowned Brownlow's post that but at the time yeah they were a serious group of mids weren't they yeah and, and yeah. strong they had a lot of strong players yeah. big strong players yeah. very different to the the shape that you see yeah. players running around well, today yeah. in the similar positions you had Mal Michael and Lepper key backs and then the Scott boys uh, playing half back roles and then up forward you had Brownie and Lynch so you just think of the size of those four as your, your key pillars and then you know the big-bodied mids. I mean, Vossi could have played quasi-key forward yeah. through his career and did <laughs> successfully at times. So, yeah, they were, they were a big team. Croft, what do you remember about the 2001 prelim final where Hawthorne went painfully close to knocking off the Bombers? 
Yeah, I, I do remember Trent Crowe having a shot from about 55, 60 out, and it looked like it was through. And I thought if that went through, we were, you know, we'd almost get across the line. But in saying that, we we weren't. I always thought Essendon were a better team, you know. So I I, I think it, it all worked out, you know, the way it did because of you know. Um, you know, they, they just found a way. They lifted when they had to. Paul Barnard, I think, kicked a goal. You know, he used to be a hawk, then went across to the, um, you know, the Bombers. But uh, I'm sure he got a lot of enjoyment out of that. Um, but I, I just felt that Essendon were a better team than us. We threw everything we had. We we didn't have much more to give. So even if we snuck through to a grand final, I don't. I didn't like our chances. You know, I know you shouldn't talk like that, and you should always be super positive. But you also got to be fairly realistic and. I can assure you, if we turned up on the grand final day, we would have yeah. thrown everything we had. But you got to be realistic about it. You know, Essendon were a much better team than us, and and same with Brisbane. In two thousand, the Bombers literally were unbeatable. In two thousand and one, though, you guys went very, very close to beating them in a prelim. Did you, Croft, walk off the field thinking they might be vulnerable the next week against the Brisbane Lions, or were you expecting them to bounce back and do what they did twelve oh, months earlier? Just, well, the the thing is. Um, well, they often say, oh, if you have a tight prelim, you know, it's always a good flow on to the next week. But sometimes it can be pretty tiring yeah. and take a lot out of you mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, so it all comes down to how well you can recover. And, you know, obviously Essendon having a great year the following, uh, the year earlier, um, you know, you just little, you know, miniature movement in mindset and it can make a huge difference in yeah. footy. Um and, you know, you have a hungry Brisbane Lions coming through and, and look what they went on to do, you know, what they won three in a row. Um, you know, they were almost impossible to stop once they were up and about. They had unbelievable belief. And, you know, you get a guy like Martin Pike who's, what did he win, four or five premierships? Talk about timing. Yeah. How good is that? I talk about, yeah. you know, so it's just fulfilling those roles and understanding, you know, where everyone fits. But, like, I used to hate playing Essendon. Like, hate playing Essendon because I knew they were too good, you know, um, especially in a period where if we played our very best, we'd get, in, get within 30 or 40 points. But even then, you know, we had to be at our very best. So um, I always had nothing but respect um, about the way Essendon played. But the thing I respected the most is the, the role playing. And I knew what Mark Mc... Curie was going to do all the time. He's going to do this. I know what Joey Mercedes is going to do through the middle. So it was just that connection they had was something that we were all jealous of. You had a nice lead in that grand final, though. What changed in the second half? Yeah, I think... Um, so I reckon we were up by about three, just over three goals. Uh, Alistair Lynch kicks a goal before half time, so gets them back within, uh, within distance of it. But... We had everything go away in the first half. I think from memory, Brisbane had had more scoring shots, missed some easy ones. We'd been really accurate and hadn't had, you know, on the balance of play, uh, it was a bit of a false economy. Uh, And then Brisbane just basically, so we needed to get off a good start in the third, but no, Brisbane just too good. Really should have been, Brisbane should have been up at half time and were able to frank that in the third quarter. You probably look back on the 99 prelim as essentially Essendon lost it. Yep. The 2001 grand final, do you feel that way or do you just feel Brisbane was a better team on the day and they won it? No, Brisbane better team on the day, yeah. Do yeah, you feel no the uh, – was that the year they were doing the saline drips as well or did that follow on 
a couple of years later. Yeah, I, I think it, it was. Yeah, became a little controversial. Yeah, I think it was although that year. they weren't doing anything wrong. No, it was within the rules. Yeah. They were allowed to do that. No, I think uh, they would. From memory, they were doing it that year, and I, I think we might have even spoken about it. But you know, at the end of the day, as you said, if you do. All clubs do whatever they can. Unfortunately, we can reflect on that in more recent times. Uh, clubs can fly pretty close at times. But, yeah, that was in the within the rules, I think, and um, they were just doing it to their um, best advantage. And, and, and it is an advantage. If you yeah. can have a saline drip halfway through a match, that is – that's replenishing all the the energy and, and everything that you need to get out and then still be able to perform at a huge level. It is a massive, massive advantage. They weren't doing anything wrong. No. They were doing everything within the rules. And I remember a few years later, Hawthorne, we had no money. We were cooked, yeah. like, you know, financially. But we, we begged the doctors. We said, can we please have saline drips? Like, it, it's such an advantage at half time. Crawl, can you explain what it is and what it does? Well, well, you, you see, even Tour de France, I don't, I don't know if they're – well, obviously they can't do it halfway through a ride, but as soon as they finish racing, they might have saline drips, which virtually just replenishes the body from, you know, everything that it's actually gone out. And, and if anything, makes you feel ready to, to quicker, go Quicker, isn't it? It's Absolutely. a quicker recovery rate. Gets like, into your system quicker. Yeah. And you see a lot of players eating jelly lollies and getting glucose into your system, but this is, this is just a whole – another level so a few years later Hawthorne we tried it for the very first time I don't know who we were playing we were playing the MCG but I'll never forget it and I'm like we're going to have a saline drip today at half time cool and it was just the midfielders because we could afford the whole team yeah. so we went in uh, you know to, to have a saline drip at half time and I've got my saline drip bag here and I look at it and I'm like hang on, what's that date hang on that my, my saline drip bag was three years out of date <laughs> So I said, nah, I'm out. Yeah. I'm not doing it. So we never ended up doing it because our trips that we obviously got. <laughs> got it for the back of the always, truck somewhere. They must have got them off the, off yeah. the internet nice and cheap with uh, a big bulk bill deal. But um, anyway, but it, it was a huge advantage. Yeah. And you could see the um, the Brisbane players, they'd, yes, after. they'd strap you know, a little bit of uh, taping around uh, their forearm. Um, but once again, they weren't doing anything no. wrong. It was all within the rules. Yep. And they could afford to do that. They were doing that. They were pushing themselves to that level. It, but it was a big advantage. Yeah. And a also big advantage on their mindset. After half-time. And, you know, the mental aspect of it, that they're doing it and we're not, also the advantage for them, but also how we took that on board or we collectively, yeah, I think has an impact as well. You played in some famous games, and one from that year was in round 16 up against North Melbourne when the team was 69 points down before going on to record a 12-point victory. What can you remember about that famous day at the MCG? Um, The big thing I'll still remember is the coaches, you know, you know, we're not we're not a quarter time we might have been ten goals down. You're not ten goals down, you know, you've got to make up three goals each quarter. So Sheeds was always very good at that. It's not 60 points. It's three goals. Let's go in, you know, six or seven at half time, And then we'll work on the second half then. So he was just able to break it down really well. Instead of looking at the 10 goals and going, well, this is done. No, no. We've just got to win the next quarter by three goals. And then we'll work on the next. Um, funny, though, we never thought we were out. You know, it seems really strange. And perhaps that's hindsight because we did win. But, you know, we always felt, you know, you're a, ch- you're a chance because of that. And we'd had some similar games where, you know, we'd be two goals down at three-quarter time, more in 2000, and we'd win by seven or eight. So the team had done that before. 
but it does reflect a bit more on our 2001 in general that we had some, you know, great win, but the reality of, of us as a team is we were 10 goals down in that game. So we still had some areas that we're working on and we just weren't as consistent across that whole year despite, I think, finishing on top. How much did it take out of you? Yeah, I think all of those experiences do. Yeah, yeah. You put a lot of effort. Uh, and I don't, couldn't tell you what happened the next week in terms of win-loss, but yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. And I think we look at Richmond now and all teams that come, at some point it, it does become really hard. And it, you know, and it might not be might it might be just physically you can't do what you once did, or it could be a combination of you know mental fatigue, or it just gets that bit too hard. And everyone hunts you, don't they? Everyone like still for every week, Rich. Everyone wants to beat Richmond. Wherever they are on the ladder, everyone sets themselves and Collingwood, yeah, and Collingwood. <laughs> but everyone sets them for that selves for that game, despite them not necessarily being quite where they have been, the time put into them is still respectful of them being the top team. Mm. And I reckon when you're down by so much early in a game, you can you can fix all that because I reckon a lot of the time it's in yeah. it's your mindset. You know, we've got ahead of ourselves during the week. We've yeah. just, you know, we had fun at training. We didn't switch on. So you can, you can change a lot of that. You can be a lot more competitive. Um, so it's not all... You know, drastic, and you know, gee, we totally changed the side around. It's, it's, let's get our heads back yeah. into the game, and obviously, when Essendon just compete, wrong. Yep. yeah. You had a similar experience playing for Hawthorne against St Kilda at Waverley, though. In fact, they it was similar records that you two teams yeah, did. But have the thing is, we were trying. Victories. That's the <laughs> like we were trying, but um, yeah, St Kilda were uh, a long way ahead, and then um, you know they they just bullied us. They just bashed us and bullied us and dominated, and then we got to. We got to half time and just said, let's just play the footy, boys. Let's just go hard, play the footy. Let's just, as you said before, you just chip away. Like, we, we weren't thinking about winning. No. We were just thinking about let's let's win the next quarter. Let's just try and put a bit of pressure on and, and see if we can get a bit of momentum. And then it's funny, momentum in footy, everyone talks about momentum. It's uh, it's so important. And you see today sides having a run. They kick one, two, all of a sudden three. And no matter what you do, no matter where you change players, no matter if you chuck a few different players through the middle, so once sides get their confidence, and regardless of how they've been going all year, it's it's almost impossible to stop that wave, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Never, and it, it seems, never has mo- momentum been more important or harder to stop. Mm. Yeah, teams just get on a run now. G'day punters for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the Tab Superbox. The magic code word this week is Mark. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL same game multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help 1800 858 858. Now the other game we're going to take a look at going down memory lane is from round 22, 2007. James Hurd's last game, Kevin Sheedy's last game at Essendon and the Bombers are 51 points down against a West Coast team that needs to win well to finish in the top two at the end of the home and away season and then one man produced an amazing final quarter. Keeps it in, almost throw over his head 
Oh, Lucas. McVay. Lucas. Man him up. Oh, he plays on. Around onto the left. Like shelling peas from there. And they're still covering the bowers. It is hard to understand what has happened in this game. But they are inspired, the Bombers. Lucas has eight. And the Bombers could steal the most unlikely victory of the year. You, I'm not going to say single-handedly, but you were amazing in that game. And you got the Bombers within two points. And for mine, you should have had a free kick 40 metres out that the home crowd Eagles got. And as a result, West Coast did win the game. But tell us about that, because it was incredible to kick seven and a quarter, eight for the game. You started in the back line. Everything went your way in the final. Oh, no time. wonder you lost. What are you doing in the back yeah. line? What's going I wonder on they there, got rid of Sheedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just one, one of those quarters. I won't even say one of those games. Just one of those quarters where everything went right and the ball fell in my arms. Footy was a bit different back then, though. I mean, there was no fold back, so there had plenty of room inside Ford 50. Still, so we still got to get the footy. Yeah, yeah, you do, I guess. Um, but, yeah, and did get, got a trip late in the game. Quinny, you're right. And... Um, yeah, maybe should have had a sh- shot. Home ground decision again, you know. Yeah. Happens yeah. a lot. Well, he was but too honest. Dwayne Russell summed it up beautifully. You got tripped, but you didn't go down. No, and I didn't know. So if I go down and he doesn't pay the umpire, he doesn't pay the decision, then I'm not going to yeah. – because I did have a shot and kicked a point. So I sort of was able to maintain my balance but kicked off balance. But um, – I uh, guess it maybe most, he thought you were Lauder. Yeah, <laughs> he used to dive a little bit. <laughs> but the most significant part of it was more for West Coast. I mean, it was great that you know we lost the game, but um, Sheedy and Hurd's last game. So certainly, the really great crowd, the West Coast Eagles that hung around uh, to pay tribute to them. Perhaps if we win, they mightn't have stayed. So, but. You're right. Going into the last quarter, they were second on the ladder, double chance. By the end of the game, they were third and had to travel that first week in the finals. And I think it was when Chris Judd didn't play that game and he had a really quite bad groins. So he plays the first final and um, played forward pocket, which uh, we know is not his normal position. And they were really quite banged up. So that last quarter made their premiership chance is a lot more difficult coming off the flag the year before. But tell us about your performance personally, because to kick that many goals in a quarter mm. is incredible. You kicked two from outside 55, just absolute bombs that went through. You were just absolutely on fire. What happened? And do you, do you look back on that game saying, I was unstoppable that quarter, and that's probably uh, the best quarter of footy you ever played? Yeah, I, it would be a good quarter to top that. <laughs> so I'll, have, I'll, go, <laughs> I'll go out on a limb and say, yeah, it would be... You had the best quarter I played. Um, things just went right, though. Like, I don't, it wasn't any sort of moment than other than, you know, the midfield got some real space and I was able to get out on a lead and, yeah, kick, kick straight, which helps. Like, I guess I'm trying to simplify it as much as I can, but it was just one of those quarters, yeah. What, what were you doing down back? What, why on earth yeah, did um, you start down I back? I don't know. Um, the last month... So it was a, it was a, a weird time that Sheets wasn't going to be coach anymore, yet he was coaching out the year. Um, which was really awkward in a sense. You know, now most coaches, when they're out, they're out. Like we saw Bucks three weeks ago. You're not coaching me. All right, I'll go. So in that sense, it was weird. And there was some different... I went down, played a little bit down back the last month. And, you know, a couple of players um, that you would normally think would be selected were dropped and players were playing in some different positions. And I think part of that was also, well... Uh, from Sheed's point of view, there's some young players that let's see what they're like in the last month and we'll put them in those spots and have a look at them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. 
<laughs> so, okay, what, what was it? Seven goals in one quarter. So, what was the most amount of goals that you kicked in a an AFL game? Uh, did you eight. get it? Did you really? Yeah, eight. So, what that game? Uh, yeah, that game Sheets and cost one you other that ten. Hey? Yeah. Okay, Sheets has cost him no, well, could seven add, and a quarter. Could have, could have had 28, Crawford, if you put me down there. Uh, I think I might have played, in fairness, I reckon I played about three quarters up forward. I think I only played down back the first quarter. I think he moved to a quarter time. Yeah. He kicked the first goal the second time. Yeah, turn. okay. So, yep. so we, can't, we can't blame Sheets too no, much. But, no. uh, so it's yes, my own fault. Look, he played him in the wrong spot. It's yeah. quite obvious. <laughs> you know. But, uh, no, he was a marvellous coach. Yeah. And I'm sure he got many stories about Kevin Sheedy and his craziness because – we used to see him, you know, appear on the TV and, and a coach with a personality, having a laugh, having fun, which is very rare, you know, because those coaches can be very, very serious. So behind closed doors, you know, obviously he'd do a lot of coaching and he was very left field. Mm. But, um, you know, did he ever take you to an area that you're just thinking, what on earth did we just experience? Um, did he ever get dressed up for team meetings in some way or did he? Uh, we, we got on a bus a couple of times not knowing where we were going. Uh, you know, usually when things weren't going that well, but, you know, and then it'd be, we'd go and sit by a campfire and have a chat. So we'd do different left yep. field things like that. Um, you know, one of the great memories of Sheeds, and I, you know, I've never looked at it, but I reckon we were exceptionally good after bad losses. And, you know, you'd have a bad loss, but you know, bounce back the next week. And more often than not, Sheets was incredibly positive. So he'd take out of it what you needed to out of that game, but he'd move on. And then quite often on Monday, when you went into the club, if you were an independent observer, you wouldn't be aware that we'd been beaten by 10, 12 goals, 15 goals that previous game. So he's very good at moving on. Um, very good at putting faith in the younger players and believing in those. A little bit like this Essendon team, this year, I mean, Truck has just put a lot of faith and provided, you know, exposure to young players in pivotal positions and said, just go and do your thing. Um, and they're going very well. Yeah, they are. So, you know, I think that was the great thing about Sheet, just put them out there, you know, believed in youth. Who's the next crop coming through? Yeah. And when he did leave after an unbelievable career at Essendon, he was replaced by Matty Knights, and it was such an unenviable job to replace Kevin Sheedy. What was your relationship like with Matty Knights, and how hard do you think it was for him replacing Sheets? Yeah, well, you know, as near on impossible as it gets to replace Sheets because, you know, Essendon is such a, a strong club in the sense, and Sheets had been there so long that, you know, no one wants change. So you look at it, and you've got, so many, it became quite factional as my memory of it. You had supporters trying to call extraordinary general meeting to keep him as coach. Um, I'm sure a lot of the coteries wanted him to stay as coach because, you know, the status quo and, um, you know, the access they could get to him or however that might be. Um, so for Nida then to come in and be coach, it's a near impossible um, job to do. And our list wasn't I don't think was in great shape then. So by the end of 07, we hadn't played finals for three or four years. Um, you know, some of those guys had retired or about to retire. Like there was going to be a real period of transition. Um, and then the reality was he only had two or three years at it when he's trying to, you know, appease everyone at the beginning of a rebuild. So even you look at now, if a coach comes in and a club's, you know, really at the bottom, 
they're backed in and supported that this is a three to five year process and they're given time to do that because you want to put faith in your um, recruitment process to start with that this is who we thought should do the job. Let let him at least get through a decent um, percentage of it. Uh, but then, yeah, the club decided to make that change, which was really difficult for him and James Heard came in, hmm. which was long after I'd sort of finished. I, I just had uh, two years with NIDA. I reckon he did one or two more, maybe one more after me. Yeah. And I, I think it was hard for him too, as he was looking to establish his own sort of identity as a coach on the team. So um, he was keen to get young players in, which um, and provide exposure to. Hence, you know, some of the older guys were transitioned out. And Lloyd and myself retired at the end of 09. And uh, as you uh, know better than anyone, um, dealing with footy clubs all the time, it's coaching an AFL club isn't necessarily just about coaching yeah. the players these days. It's a relationships on all levels. Yeah, it is. Um, and as a player, I think you, you're very much in your own little world of w- what you are and what you think everyone else is. Um, so to then be involved in player management now and more intimately knowing the person. So at a footy club, I'm sure, similar. you're really close mates with, you know, seven or eight. Yeah, friendly with seven or eight, and then there's seven or eight that are teammates, etc. Um, but even then, you're probably not digging as deep. You're great mates, and you have great times, but you never sit down and talk about how you're going as such. Whereas, you know, it's a, a really important part of what I do now. So you're starting to get, a, or I've found, got a better understanding of the different personalities um, within a club, which in a sense gives me a greater appreciation of the job that a, that a coach has and how that is a difficult job as you try and work together with all these different personalities that, um, well, need to be supported to get the best out of them and then how that's done, you know, in more recent times with soft cap cuts and resources not being available that once were. We're about to ask you about your management that you're doing now as a profession, but before we do, how much does it hurt that the Bombers haven't won a single finals game since your time at the club? Uh, Yeah, well, um, I hope that changes in the next year or two. Uh, Yeah, look... It might change this year. Yeah, it's... I really like what they're doing and I think, you know, how they're going about it looks sustainable and as they build and get experience those younger players over the next, you know, one, two, three, four years, I think they can certainly do that. Um, For any football club, particularly the one you want to see success, I played for this club, so it's really hard to believe that it is so long. What is it, 17 years now? I mean, when... I think they won in 65, then they won in 84. So it was a 19-year gap between flags. And I I still remember, like, Sheeds historically talking, he'd go, you know, we had this drought for so long. Well, that drought for us is 17 without winning an an actual final. Um, But what it does show is just how even – how even it is and how tough it is. I mean, I think 80s, 90s, you know, we spoke about – Sheeds always used to get really upset. You know, Carlton, I think – I could be corrected, but I think Essendon signed Craig Bradley to a Form 4 and he chose Carlton, I think. So stuff like that where Carlton were able to bring in, say, Kernahan, um, Bradley, Motley, Mark Naley, like you were able to bring guns in out of Sandful and that back then. So 
The chance to win finals and stay successful for the powerful clubs was a lot easier. I think they brought John Platten in as well. Yeah, the they way gave him a yes. car and then I he decided yes, Hawthorne the... and kept the car. <laughs> <laughs> so what I mean is clubs could really quickly, if you had the resources, just go bang. Now with, as I've said, drafting salary cap and, you know, the coaches just – the gap is so – close now that you need to get everything right the margin for error is so small and when you have you look at eras such since you know Geelong Hawthorne the Swans West Coast those teams that have been able to get it right great players and stay up the top if you haven't had everything right and clearly uh, my club hasn't uh, it's been really difficult and as a result we haven't won a final for a long time. What about uh, some of the great players, the great Essendon players you played with, you know? So um, I'll just throw a couple yeah. of names and you just tell me what whatever comes to mind. But yeah. Obviously, we'll start with the great Michael Long. Yeah. When I say Michael Long, what do you think of? Oh, an absolute pioneer for the game and a pioneer for his people. Um, and just a great guy to be around. Yeah, I think he has um, had such an incredible impact on, you know, on his performance, but since more probably since his career, and I just look on and having played with him, it was a huge honour to play with him because of the the standing he has in the community and um, what is the way that he's been able to pay for, for other Indigenous players. I just think is great. The great James Hurd. Yeah, I mean, uh, hope he's going well. Um, just been a super player um, without question. Um, a great leader of our football club. Um, and I, I hope and I'm sure uh, most just despite what happened towards the end of his coaching career remember that aspect of him yeah Maddie the sledge the velvet sledgehammer Lloyd <laughs> yeah the, the silent assassin yeah um, yeah look yeah, it's, it's funny you keep saying great player because they all have been but um, having shared a forward line with Hurdy and, and Lloyd you, I feel fortunate I mean you know, whether we we look at it and your team, like I'm really fortunate I was drafted by Essendon and fortunate that Essendon also had so many players of that quality that gave me a chance to play in a flag. I mean, we talk about drafting, you know, and there's players like you can get drafted some some clubs that are no chance to do much for a very long time and you're just bloody unlucky, whereas I'm extremely fortunate to have been drafted by Essendon. Yeah. Were you playing in the game where Gary Moorcroft took that mark? He kicked the ball to him. Oh, did you? There you go. So even better. So wh- how do you just... Right dis- Croft. How do you... <laughs> did a lot of those in my well, career. Well, hang on. Okay, I must go ha- back and have a look at that. We always... We don't r- often see the kick nah, being no, released. We no, just we see, see him launch. Yeah. can you just... Because that, to me, is one of the most amazing yeah. marks ever. So how do you describe that being there and obviously being the person who passed the ball? Yeah. Um, Shitty that I didn't kick the goal. <laughs> Just didn't. And that's back to my snapping the ball on the right foot. Uh, didn't get enough elevation. Um, yeah, it was in. I, thought, I reckon Gazza kicked six maybe in the first half that night. The most remarkable part is that Brad Johnson was in the defensive goal square. Yeah, what was used he doing? As a I don't know, he must have got lost. <laughs> but, but do you look at the height and, and just the yeah, you go, wow. Yeah. Did you yeah. do that yeah, when yeah, he took yeah. that? And you yep. went, oh my goodness, yep. what just happened there? Yeah, yeah. No, you do. And then Matty Lloyd was underneath trying yeah, to get the get ball. Yeah, give him a handball. So it was Adam Ramanaskas, yeah. the league. It's like, are you okay, Gaz? Do you need someone to <laughs> kick the goal for you while you go off and seek treatment? We're typical forwards. He yeah. was probably never the yeah. same after that, though, Moorcroft, was No, he? I think he actually, that in that incident, 
badly injured his hip and just, yeah, it did really knock him about. Probably only played a couple more years at AFL level, but he's gone on and played suburban footy at a high level. If he's not playing now, he's only finished in the last year or two and kicked hundreds of goals. Yeah. How many times have you spoken about that? Mark after, over a beer too with his teammates. Well, you just showed, yeah. yeah you a wanna, yeah, yeah, here we go. I took this one. <laughs> yeah. And what about the big fish, Paul Salmon? Did you play much with him? <laughs> he makes you did, laugh. Did you ever buy you a drink? <laughs> ever? <laughs> He's the tightest, tightest yeah. player. Uh, one of the tightest uh, players. These mops. Has fish been in? Yeah, to the yeah. office. He we got a few moths around. <laughs> yeah. It was either that or Quinny's wallet. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but tell us about yeah, the big no, fish because I was lucky enough to play with him yeah. for a few years and we loved him. I got a year at the start and then a year at the end, uh, perhaps seven or eight years in between. Um, the funniest. So in my first year, I you know you're just thankful to be there. You're pretty happy most of the time. And I, and I was at school, so I was feeling unwell, and I walked into the doctor's. Bruce Reed, who we know is like a real jokester and very lighthearted. And um, I had a smile on my face and I said, I don't feel well. And Fish, who was in there, goes, no, 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 no. That won't work. So he went back in and he said, this is how you walk in when you're unwell. So he walked in as the most downtrodden, shoulders stooped, looking like he was about to die and just said, Doc, I don't feel so good. (laughs) And from then on, that was Fish. And f- part of the reason why I was so experienced is he did bugger all training. <laughs> he'd, he'd lay on the massage bench and do about 10 minutes on a Thursday, come in, get a rub, and that was it. But that was my memory, like incredibly dry sense of humour. <laughs> and when he came back the second time, he was probably about 37 by then. So, you know, we had 18, 19-year-olds, so almost a generation apart because by then full-time footy, we're all doing it. But Fish in a sense, was helping us out because we were short in the ruck and, and Sheeds had granted a few concessions around his work because he was established in that space. So he'd roll in and the young blokes with his dry sense of humour just didn't know how to take him. But he was incredible value the whole time. He'd always say, stay seated, don't yep. get up. Yeah. No, that's yep. okay, I'm all right. And yep. Even in the back the centre bounce, we'd kick a goal. We'd come in to go, okay, where are we going to hit it? What are we going to do? And he'd be like, how am I looking? Because I'm feeling like I'm playing great. Am I looking great? You know, like that would be your first discussion. You start laughing, like, where are we going to hit it? You get a two o'clock short. What are we doing? He goes, seriously, did you see how fast I was running and moving out on that wing? Um, so he'd always have a real sort of fun element to him, which yeah. we love. I reckon I saw him late last year, and I think the first thing he said, um, how am I looking? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, great yep. value. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he, well, the first thing he said to me last time I saw him, which wasn't too long ago, have you shrunk? <laughs> Like, he I think, yeah, he seems like he's getting yeah. bigger, but I, th- I think I have shrunk a bit. But and, um, yeah, and the big thing was like he left Essendon and he just played super footy for Hawthorne. Like he was just great for you guys, wasn't well, he, he? He made the team of the century. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of four years. Yeah, and I think he That's wanted to play. She's wanted him as the key forward. He wanted to be a ruck, and then went to Hawthorne and just was super player. Yeah, so it was great. But now, fish, tell us about what you're doing now in footy. Yep. Yeah, so. Uh, involved in player management, so uh, that's the day job. So what I enjoy, still involved in the industry and, you know, working closely with clubs. I think at times we, we think, you know, the player manager and the club always head, butting heads and that. But, you know, by and large, we try and work collaboratively to, you know, reach positive outcomes for our players because both club and manager just wants the player to be going well, playing good football in a good headspace, enjoying what he's doing. Another Jerry Maguire here. 
Well, that's right. You've got about 60 on your yeah. books. Yep. 60 is a lot of players to look after, isn't it? Like it's, yeah, yeah. You know, keep- it's keeping that contact and then you're know, obviously making sure and guiding them because players really rely on their managers not only to you know help get a contract from year to year but for life advice yeah there is, there is and um i guess what you you look at is these players come into the game young men and um you know by and large the average person goes to uni uh, seeks employment and as they go along they gain more knowledge and with that their wage increases and then you know decisions are made once there's a bank of experience behind them but we've got young players that you know really early on in their careers whilst still learning about broader issues are earning vast amounts of money so therefore the question is you know what do I do with that how do I best invest that to make sound decisions because it's you know it's an opportunity that you know, they've got a small window, relatively speaking, of being able to maximise that income they earn. And we fully acknowledge they're, they're well paid. Uh, they work extremely hard, but they're well rewarded. So a big part, as you said, Croft, is supporting them in that regard to, to, to get the most out of their career, both on field but off field. What's the hardest and most rewarding thing about management? Um, Not to push them to Essendon all the time. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. It's like, no, stay no, there. Stay there. Like, yeah. Essendon are going, Scotty, come on, yeah, come on. We need a, an yeah. inside mid or a tall forward. Um, <laughs> certainly the most rewarding part of it is seeing guys that, you know, potentially don't have much luck or – and then, you know, are able to find that. Look, Nick Hind for me is a great example this year. Um, playing as a small forward at St Kilda in and out of the team was really keen to forge a career because he's you know mid 20s uh, worked as a plumber came in late to the game to see him go to Essendon and play that sort of football is yeah you really enjoy seeing someone you know reach their full potential and get what in many ways in what they deserve they've worked hard and then they get some reward most challenging part um i just think for the guys it's you know the constant scrutiny and you know, their career is on the line all the time. So uh, trade period in many ways reflects that. It can create great opportunities for players, but through trade period is also the period where players are delisted. And, and, you know, that's a challenging time for them because right now across any club, they've probably got around 10 players out of contract. So that's 25% of their list. Um, And I find it interesting when, you know, clubs talk about, you know, players have got too much power and that and we should be able to trade contracted players. But the reality is a quarter of each club's players right now don't know whether they have a job next year. Yeah. So that, with that comes a level of anxiety and uncertainty for them that we're trying to, and and I don't, in a sense, have a solution. I'm not critical of clubs because free agency provides that vehicle where there is stock available to a club. So they want to sit back and have flexibility to observe what they might be able to bring in to make their list better. So I fully understand that. But then with that becomes the uncertainty for the incumbents that are on a club's list and just working with that, trying to best support them through it because it's not easy for them. I want to ask you one more question before we finish up. Is Obviously, you're watching a lot of the junior mm. uh, football. You're looking for the next players coming through from a management point of view. So th- there's a lot of talk about Dacos um, and there's talk about Darcy yeah. who's shown great improvement. You know, it, like if you had to – not that – I shouldn't put you on the spot to pick, but if you had to pick how the draft order may go, one, two, three this year, yeah. do you have any thoughts on how that might roll out If from your point of view and, yeah. and what you've seen? Yeah, um, yeah, we do. And Young Horn in South Australia is certainly in that mix with 
Nick and Sam Darcy. Um, I'd be surprised right now if that wasn't the top three in some shape or form. Um, Nick, you've got a midfielder that wins a stack of the footy. Um, Sam, who's key forward ruck, you know, takes a big grab. So, And he, he's had huge improvement. Yeah, yeah, he? scope. Yes. So Nick coming into this year... Um, young Horn from South Australia, you know, that one-two combination. But Sam, I perhaps he was a uh, – the dogs would best know or another club. Maybe he sat around 20s. I'm not entirely sure, but you're right. He's really elevated through his form at Scotch College, Metro Oakley Chargers, to be a legit pointy end of the draft. And it might, for those three, come down to purely who, who finishes uh, on the bottom – um, to what type of player you want. Yep. Yeah, because, you know, if you're really stacked with key forwards, then you might go the best mid, um, knowing – and then there's also the balancing act, Croft, of uh, matching the bid. So whoever picks a Nick Dacos or a Sam Darcy, we know that Collingwood and the Bulldogs will match that bid like Jamara last year. Yep. So really that young horn from South Australia is the first live pick of the draft. Yep. Yeah, and and he he's a mid. He's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah tough he's mid. Pretty tough as well. Yeah, from what I can understand, haven't seen a lot of him being a South Australian junior. Whereas you're quite right with the Victorian boys. We're sort of watching them each week live quite yep. often. Yeah, right. All right, let's finish up with one more then. The best <laughs> spray you ever saw Kevin Sheedy give. Ooh. Um, could be comical. It could be the angry sheets coming out well, that we saw in the eighties. The one that I remember is after my first game. <laughs> And we used to sit in this little meeting room at Essendon and we'd watch the vision. Whereas, you know, now it's quite slick. You've got good video editing programs. So you'd watch 10 minutes. You'd watch 15 minutes, but you could watch all the clips of inside 50s, outside fear, you know, contestable centre clearances, whatever. But we would literally sit in that room for an hour to watch one quarter of football. <laughs> so after that, my first game in 96, uh, we watched the first half, which was two hours on a Tuesday night. So guys would fall asleep. Yeah. So they've all, most of the guys worked then. You'd sit in a room. He's got a pointer. He's flicking. And for whatever reason, like, you'd think you'd be talking about you miss the ground ball, you drop the mark. There's a – the shot pans, and I'm in the background in my first game, and I'm walking along, and if you look at the depth, you know I'm about 80 or 100 metres away from the play, and I'm walking along, and I'm looking at the ground, like, instead of watching the play. But I could have been a split second where I just walked to and you – and he pauses the time. <laughs> What the F are you doing? <laughs> Looking for worms? <laughs> <laughs> and how did he deliver it like that? Or yeah. was there pause and Yeah, drama? pause for effect. And it's like, how I felt like saying, how did you pick on for someone that missed a shot from the goal square rather than me walking with my head down? Did the but boys was laugh just in, or were they nervous? Or I can't remember because I was just going, shit, I'm not. I don't think I'll be playing this week. <laughs> and nor did I. I think I got dropped every game. I think I didn't play two in a row till about games five and six. Yeah, but when you came back in, did you look down at the ground ever again? Probably not. No, no. Never. Did you respond to him or what do you say? No, you don't say anything. That was the key? But sometimes he'd want you to respond. Yeah. So you'd sort of, because you go, well, whatever I say, I'm going to be wrong. So I'll say nothing. Yep. Unless pressed for a response. And I can't recall whether he pressed me for a response. <laughs> Might have been not sure. I can imagine I would have said, I don't know how to say this. I'll just say, I don't know. You're better off just saying, I Nothing. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Instead just of coming up with a, yeah, if you come up with a bad excuse, you'll just double down. 
which some guys did. We always had the teammates that... Who was the best oh, at that? Well, none come to mind in a sense, but there was always someone that you... Because you, you know when the coach just is spraying you because he's just got a spray? He, he wants to get it out. It might not even be you that he's got the shits with, but you just cop it and you just sit there. But then you get those teammates that you just go, <laughs> how dumb are you? Don't Where they okay. go back, where they, yeah, like they'll Nick, say, Nick yeah, Holland. but I went there because he stood there and you just go, oh my God. So then the coach doubles down and just goes doubly hard at him. You just got to take Nick Holland used to challenge all the yeah. time and I'm like, shut up. Um, and then he's he's obviously now a lawyer background so, you know, he, he loves Which, getting in with a, so a bit of an argument yeah, and really yeah. trying so there's to... And I'm like, shut yeah. up, shut so up, there's, shut up. You're in the wrong, yeah. shut up. So there's academically smart. <laughs> Footballers are two categories and then there's footy smart. <laughs> the problem is when the academically smart try to bring that across into the football vernacular and challenge the coach because <laughs> Because, well, you know, I'm studying commerce or law or whatever it is <laughs> or whatever whatever it might be. And I've got teammates like that. And it's like, yeah, you might be – but just come across to footy smart and common sense and shut up. What would Nick do? Just try and argue the point the whole time? Well, he'd he, he need to stand up for himself, which yeah. is fair enough. You've got to do that. But it's like – the, the video there is showing that you know something's not going right, or you should have fed the ball off yeah. and so forth. But there was always it's like always yeah. there was someone. That, oh, like look, Nick, you can't shush. you can't see the guy; he's out of shot. But he was right on him, so I didn't. <laughs> coach doesn't want to hear it. Just know your audience. And then so that's I, a lesson I, I, for your young players. Yeah. The coach is always right. Yeah, you can't beat him. No. Well, the umpire, he's never changed a decision ever. No, <laughs> no, how, no matter how well you argue with an umpire, you can deliver it. And you hear players on the mark and they're so articulate and they go, well, did you see? Right? They've never changed, have they? No, no never changed. No. And that's the thing why Alistair Clarkson was so good. He'd get the older players, he'd rip into yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. But then every now and then he'd pull you aside before you went into the meeting and goes, I'm just going to get it Give it to you. That's for, the, that's for Johnny and, then, and Jimmy, the yep. can't copper spray. And then the young blokes, as you come out of the meeting, goes, geez, the coach doesn't like you. You, does he? And like you're like, oh, I'd really love to tell you what's going yeah. on there, but um, you know, it was all. And that's the, the art of coaching, isn't it? The yep. psychology behind the message you need to deliver and who you can deliver it through to impact the players that actually need to hear it. I remember having a meeting once with Peter Swab, and Peter Swab, a great man, loved him, um, and. Oh, things weren't going right. Right, something was going wrong. So on a Monday meeting, we'd all come in and they'd go through the video on the duel this, and then he said, you know, so what. What are we meant to do, you know? And went to big Nathan Thompson, and Tomo was good. Uh, he, you know, he knew what was going on. And then he said, "What? What are we meant to do? You know, what? What is our game plan in this situation?" He goes, oh, "I've got to be honest. I don't know what our game plan is, you know." And this is halfway through the year, <laughs> so that's when we knew we'd lost. We'd lost our way in touch because I'm like, he's got a <laughs> yeah. point because we have got pretty lost out there so um, yeah you just got to be careful and pick your timing and moments when you step up and, and say something yeah. back It'll be almost more interesting watching these sort of things happen when the teams were not going well. It's all good oh. and well when the team's winning. It doesn't yeah. matter. When things are going wrong and you have these sort of interactions, you look now and sort of laugh, but at the time it probably sums up what's going wrong. Well, well the yeah. famous Hawthorne coaching stories when Alistair Clarkson got so angry uh, losing to the Sydney Swans and he said it wasn't the players' fault. It's not your fault. This is a Monday meeting. Getting angrier and angrier. He said, I got it wrong. Jeff Kennett went in the paper said, oh, we got out coached. So he took full responsibility. I got it wrong. And then next thing, he's punched himself in the head and they had to stop the meeting <laughs> because he punched himself so hard. Like, <laughs> coaches are a different breed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
Yeah. You'd have to be mad to be a coach. Yeah. One yeah. man that's not mad is Scott Lucas. That's the best exit to this <laughs> podcast we'll ever do. Scotty, we've loved it. Thanks so much for having a chat today. Thanks, Gwenny. Thanks, Groff. And Thanks, Punish, Scotty. you've been listening to Inside 50. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858.